Hello and welcome to the 6++ Show, a podcast for your wargaming and 40k needs. Hobby talk, tactics, tournament reports, lore and much more. We have it all. Please welcome your host for the evening, Tom. Welcome, ladies, gentlemen, and traveling players to the 6 plus, 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 plus. podcast. That's an extra plus, an extra one on there. I am your host, Tom. I'm delighted to be here. I'm very excited to talk about Warhammer. I've actually been doing other stuff for a day and I haven't thought about it, so I'm what? really up for it. I know it's crazy. You? And what crazy. have you done with Tom? I had a whole a whole actual day off, and now I'm back and ready and hungry oh, to talk Warhammer once again. I'm joined here by our dear leader, Chris. Say hello, Chris. Hello, Chris. He said hello, Chris. What have you been up to, Chris? Do you want to give us a brief hobby roundup? Oh, well, what haven't I been up to? <laughs> um, no, I've been in a bit of a kind of a situation where I didn't have anything to work on. All the custodies are done. Um mm. And then, what would it be like, three, four weeks ago, the obviously the Harlequins book came out and that's prompted yep. me to uh, dig up my old Harlequins project from Very a year nice. or two ago. So I kind of stripped Very the nice. models um, and then I've painted about 20 of the troops so far. Oh, sweet. Um, and then um, I made a cheeky little um, Facebook marketplace purchase, courtesy of Mr. Jamie here. Got tagged in something at about midnight. I was oh, yeah. like, oh, that looks like an, yeah, that's, that's an interesting deal. And it's just basically a bunch of the um, Star Weavers and Sky Weavers already painted. Oh, sweet. Nice. And Very nice. Very they're nice. Also, we're basically in the colours that I'd chosen already, this kind of pink oh, and um, blue scheme so it works quite nicely yeah so uh, scheme is very nice we'll have to get some in-progress shots on the yeah, Instagram so I'll um, there was then talk of us taking the Harlequins to the team tournament this weekend coming but um, can't go to the team to. tournament without them oh uh, yeah well we are we are <laughs> going to be well, no actually I've actually looked and there are I think there's only like seven or eight teams with Harlequins there okay. out of the 20. That, that means whatever happens, you've got the moral high ground now as well, yeah, exactly, which is pretty yeah. cool. I mean, you've got Castellos and Tau, but, you know. Yeah, yeah, but that's what, they're, they're basically average now, right? They're yeah. <laughs> they are B-tier. The plucky, plucky underdogs. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, no, I've that's got, very exciting, got, I got hammered with um, man flu last week, and then this week I've just been Easter holidays, so I've just been doing family stuff with the girlfriend. Yeah. And so been um been busy not had much chance to hobby yet so i'm hoping over the next few days also we did a bat rep didn't we we did um, on we sunday did. with paul you oversaw that yeah that um, was dark so angels versus gene sealer colts that was a lot of fun i'm yeah, looking forward to seeing the, the, the finished product cards. so that's i'm look, looking forward to posting a groveling message on the youtube apologizing for the rules mistakes i know i identified <laughs> a, a, a appalling rules mistake i've been making all game as soon as i got home i reread the strats like Shit! <laughs> that, yeah, I woke up and I just saw just, this message. I've definitely used that at least twice, possibly three times. Um, yeah. That is appalling. But there we go. You live and you learn. You live and you learn, kids. Just, uh, just terrible. But just wonderful so game. I'd not, I'd not played ball before. It was, a, it was a cracking game. Really enjoyable game. So, um, looking forward to seeing how that comes out. Mm, yeah, we tried some new things, didn't we? So yeah, we did. Tempest um, cards. They're fun. fun. Good time. Yeah. That's me, yeah. Um, I'll be doing uh, more painting and editing over the next week or two because I'm on Easter holidays. So, yeah, that's me. Very exciting. Nice. Mm. Yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing the, the various characters for the Harlequins because they're, mm. they're always a really nice they're way to show cool. some personality. Right, well, also here today we have Jamie. Say hello, Jamie. Hello, Jamie. 
Wonderful. Very nice to have you here. Uh, do you want to give us a little roundup? What's been happening with you? Yeah, so I um, haven't really managed to get much hobbying done um, or gaming really since the, the last team tournament we went to. Mm-hmm. Um, Paul very kindly ran his Harlequins at me. Um, oh, that's nice. My He's town. a good guy. It's nice yeah, event. Yeah. Ran his Drukari ass Harlequins. And yeah, so that was how hilarious. scary that is. Um, Proxy Quins. Yeah. Yeah best way um so yeah hobby wise i've uh, just been finishing up a couple of squads on my blood angels uh, really enjoying painting those up um oh, nice. finished my sanguinary guard sanguinary priest and now moving on to my death company got a couple of squads of those so yeah be, oh nice very cool finished and then also you've been using I, like streaking grime haven't you for the blood angels yeah i got for a grim dark look it's a yeah, it's a bit scary when you first put it on. And yeah, I, I was, I, when I first saw it, I was like, what the hell is going on? I mean, actually, once it's all been taken off, the effect is amazing, right? Yeah, I was super worried because um, the Sangaree Priest I painted up, I actually really liked the way he looked. And I was like, ah, oh, do I really want to just throw streak and go all over this? So, um, but yeah, no, happy with how it turned out. So that's pretty cool. No, yeah, looking and really cool. And then also, um, yeah, we're all going to get started on some Age of Sigma. So yes, I had we a couple are. of dragons yes, painted up since maybe January and they've been riderless ever since. Um, so yeah, this week I finally painted up the two riders to get those stuck on and uh, yeah, just to get the, the whole cool. thing started. They yeah. are very cool. Green dragons is like the right way to go, by the way. Good choice. That's the true, the true color of any, any dragon. Yeah, historically accurate. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but your Stormcast scheme is also very nice. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, Age of Sigma is going to be really fun. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I, I had a look today about whether to go pure Stormcastle or Cities of Sigma, so I can just go uh, a bit everywhere, really, with it, like the old Wood Elves and... Yeah, um, retro. Yeah, some, some Sylvaneth as well, because I like the old Treebeard-style guys, so... Yeah. And, yeah, I might end up going for a Cities of Sigma just for a, a bit of everything, you know, keeps the painting yeah. fresh as well, so rather than just paint mm, once again... Over and over again. So, yeah, they they have the advantage of having like all those old like empire models, which is really fun. Like there's so many yeah. different classics yeah, in that range, and lots of stuff you can do. Yeah, very nice. Um, so I've been doing the same as you in my in my hobby time earlier in the week. I've been doing some, I've been doing Soul Black Grave Lords. It's funny. I was thinking about sort of how I was going to do Age of Sigma in general, and I think I've basically decided that I'll do Death, and Death will be my thing, and I won't do anything else. And that's how I'll sort of learn the game. Because um, that way I can, like yourself, if I want to bolt in some Flesh Eater Courts or some Nighthorn or whatever it, whatever else, um, then I can do it that way as well. But yeah, the, the models are just amazing. They are better models, I think. I think the Age of models are, are definitely better models. The game itself, jury's out, we'll see. We'll find <laughs> out. But um, I think High Fantasy the gives them a bit more creative freedom, doesn't it? It's, yeah, I think you're right. The big monsters as well is, is, is a very very much a, a limit on what you can do with the big models i think in 40k you know big hmm. tanks and big walkers that's about it but yeah the dynamic poses of the dragons and like is it's just incredible really yeah absolutely um less less likely to be stuck out just from behind a ruin and get yourself killed as well which is nice yeah i mean that, that <laughs> um, i've not played it maybe that is how it works but i, I hope it isn't it like. will be with my 80 archers <laughs> oh so. yeah sorry yeah yeah <laughs> the uh the lumineth i'm looking forward to seeing the lumineth though um those models are also really really nice yeah i enjoyed painting the ones i've done so far yeah and we're all off to the team's event Got a six plus plus teams going, and um, I am also once again a traveling mercenary, traveling player, if you will. So I will be mm-hmm. plugging in 
Nice. Um, and we'll be we'll be feeding back on that. I would assume the week after at some stage, doing yeah. doing a debrief of how we all get on. Um, wonderful, right? Well, we're going to launch into today's topic. Um, it has two titles. The sensible title is "Take the Next Steps to Develop as a Player," and the the alternative title, which I'm championing, is "Ruminations on Stagnation for the Nation." Yep, and seconded. You, the listener, can decide which which you want to run with. You know, yeah. you know, when you're telling everyone, about we're a democracy. Them. We're a democracy. You can choose. Um, don't feel obliged to use one or the other. But anyway, what we've been thinking about it, we've been thinking, and the, and the general emphasis of the episode is to talk through some ideas about what to do if you're someone who wants to be improving, wants to be upping your game in 40k and improving as a player, but you feel like you've kind of stagnated or hit a plateau in your performance. Right, if you've hit a a level from which you're not really rising or not really pushing up beyond. And Chris, I mean, it was interesting. I wanted to, I wanted to kind of pick your brains because you said, you said this was something that you feel you yourself have been dealing with in recent times. So do you want to talk us through that briefly before we dive into it? Yeah, I think this episode kind of came about because it would have been like a month or so ago. I was just a bit frustrated, you know, mm. like I think it was actually when I was just taking the thousand suns and, <laughs> um, I hadn't had the best. Which, which of course, had so much to do with how good you were as a player, right? <laughs> that was that, that was so was, reflective of your player level. That yeah, well, <laughs> yeah. easiest pick up and play army there. Yeah, famously. Um, <laughs> no, it was the final game where I made this just ridiculous mistake. Um, yeah. with the charging yeah, yeah. and Overwatch, um, and mm. I just I just found that really frustrating. And I feel overall, like you know, also we'd had the team tournament. And I'd gone three two with the custodies there, and I felt like. I feel like I've hit a level where I kind of, I know all the stuff. I can talk to you and explain to you all the t- tricks of the trade and how to try and get the most out of the rules and all those sorts of things. I know most of the armies. I know what they're going to do. I mm. kind of know how my matchups are going to go. But I still don't quite see the game like kind of holistically. Um, and I can, there are moments where I'm like, oh, I got that right. I really did get it right, <laughs> and I played a good game there. So, and there are other times where I get to like turn two, and I'm like, "Oh, I've really messed this up. I just haven't thought this through, um, and I've put these things in the wrong place, and those sorts of things." And the consistency mm. isn't quite there. So I thought it would be quite a nice topic. Not necessarily the fact that we've cracked it and we know how to get on better, and we're all now <laughs> no, going no. to after this episode and our musings, we're now going to be um, challenging for the top, but. Mm. Um, I think it was nice just to get those thought processes going and share some ideas that we've had about um, how you can kind of move on when you've when you have hit that particular stagnation Definitely. level. Really, yeah, I think it's something. It's something that a lot of people, at the very least, say they really want to do. Right? I think you know. I think I think there's a general. There is a sense. There's a tendency towards improvement in the hobby, and there's a tendency towards trying to get better at all aspects of it whether it's the painting and the and and the sort of the hobby side or all the mm-hmm. playing and, and or at events and so i guess we're not we're not pitching this specifically at event goers but obviously a lot of the people we know and a lot of people we, we engage with are event goers so i think there's a lot of stuff here that is useful for that but so how we're going to structure this is we're going to think about things you can do before you even step into a game or into an event to sort of sharpen up and improve your play things that you you as a person can go away and do and how you can approach that then we're going to think about actually during competitive sort of events or sessions or moments how you can continue to improve and what little things you can do to keep sort of sharpening up finally we'll think about 
what it's what sorts of things can be useful to do after after the fact right after 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 the dust has settled after the battle's over um, when you're sort of thinking through your next steps and thinking over your performance um, and we're going to sort of i'm going to sort of throw it out to you guys and then we'll, we'll sort of riff on anything that you guys come up with so i think what we'll do is we'll start with um sort of tips and and tricks for kind of sharpening up prior to events prior to competitive games and i guess we'll take this over to you first jamie have you got any wisdom to offer us here on how you approach this <laughs> no cool. wisdom's a strong word <laughs> pick up the harlequins codex <laughs> <laughs> yeah i was gonna say play harlequins but we'll just put that out there now yeah if you if you want if you want to see an uppage in your numbers just go nuts so yeah um I think I think a big part is splitting uh, both practice and uh, absorbing info. Um, Good. Me personally, um, I like to listen to podcasts on the way to and from work. I mean, it's a forty-five minute drive, and mm. rather than listening to Miley Cyrus' greatest hits, I think uh, <laughs> a lot of the podcasts um, are great, uh, great information just to just to absorb. Um, you don't need to sort of pay attention to every word they're saying, but no. um, just to listen to. Uh, um, uh, higher ranking players just talk about yeah. the game and um, just to hear the way they see it um yeah. you know j- just another point of view um someone who's more experienced than i just to hear them talk and um, mm. various bits and bobs so the one thing i like is podcasts that focus on um, new releases so reviews um i like mm. art of war down under by adam camilleri there's various other ones but um, oh, it's a very expensive hobby uh, as you both yeah. know and there's no way we can afford to, to grab every codex and every supplement that's released no. to, to digest that information yourself. So just to have that sort of 45 to an hour, 45 minutes to an hour every two or three weeks when a new codex is released, just to hear someone else talk through it. He very often has a specialist in the faction on to, to talk through it with him. So mm. just to learn the t- uh, the tricks that the, 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 the army can get um, put on the table any potential gotchas that might catch you out that you know next time you're on the table and you're facing them you think oh hang on a minute I heard that and um, mm. it's just something to, to bear in mind um, mm. so yeah I think that's the the information absorption that I think is a key part is, is just just hearing stuff about the codex you know you, you read online that everything's overpowered and this is great and that's great but to know <laughs> what they're doing on you know, how do they move? How are they shooting? What ranges are they needing? Um, yeah. What psychic powers they're getting? What buffs they're getting in the command phase? Just things like that, that you don't read online um, from the various yeah. whiners and the like that are just <laughs> are just hating on a faction for the sake of you know some win percentages or anything. But to listen yeah. to, to how an army works rather than just oh they're winning everything they're too good. Yeah. Um. Just to, just to try and hear um, how you can tackle it rather than just you don't stand the chance give up now sort of thing um so yeah and then I think, I think that's excellent yeah oh another point we're getting more more wisdom well next thing is just practice wise um you hear yeah. in, in everything in life that practice makes perfect but i think um not all practice makes perfect i think you need to focus on on what your practice is uh, mm. if you've got the same two people banging heads with the same two armies all the time i don't think that's really going to improve you um, no. I think before an event, I think if you can try and get some matchups into meta lists or, or lists that yours potentially struggles into. So I played Grey Knights before uh, with a lot of damage to weaponry. So I was trying to get some practice in a Death Guard and the like that all their minus one damage is just uh, neuters your damage output horrendously. Mm. So 
trying to figure out how I can play into those armies that are sort of a buffer to mine. Um, mm. My obviously playing town now that rely heavily on rerolls. Uh, <laughs> two of the biggest armies right now turning those off being custodians and harlequins are fortunately two of the armies. Or say fortunately, um, potentially fortunately, I've had um, practice matchups into before this team event. So yeah, um, if you can practice into armies that you would know you're going to struggle into, um, it may help you. Um, just mm. when it comes to it on the tabletop, well, how I know obviously on the previous team tournament we were worried about how many points you can get. So if that can limit the the deficit in points you get in a match, then all the better. And obviously this one's a oh, bit definitely. different um, how matchups are going. But yeah, yeah. but in um, in general, working on that deficit is always going to be useful, right? You, that you want to be even even tough games. If you're pushing towards getting closer results, that's that's nice. Yeah, if you can get the score close, and then obviously if you manage to get the turn three hold more on a primary, it might flip the game over to a win. Yeah. So if you can spend yeah. the whole game limiting that differential, I think is is important. Mm. Definitely excellent. Well, Chris, how about you? What do, what sort of things do you think you can do in the sort of the run up to competing? To yeah, so I also split my kind of pre-tournament thing into the two categories of um, preparation in terms of practice and then also um, content. So um, as Jamie says, it's not about practice makes perfect, it's perfect practice makes perfect. Um, you want to be practicing things you want to be doing on the tabletop. So mm. I think it's really important when you go into a game with a friend is identify what you want the outcome to be. Are you playing a no-holds-barred tournament match or are you actually trying to look as a friendly game or are you trying to learn and develop from it um so things that i've done in the past are rather than playing a full five turn game when i went to visit lee we did two two turn matches um <laughs> just to practice you know kind of like the start of the game which let's face it is quite often the, the most important part um yeah. and that's therefore why we you know we've all had those games where you play till you carry on playing even though the result is in the bag and sure sometimes you want to practice dragging it out and that sort of thing um, and getting as high a score as you can but I think a lot of the time actually it makes much more sense to just start again re-rack um, mm. the art of war when they do their coaching games they work out the point where the game was lost and they just re they just go back they change the play yeah and they yeah, go yeah. again, which is also yeah, better yeah. for the viewers. But um, yeah. it's that's how you're going to learn from the game. Like, of course, I remember oh, years ago we did like a little league with some of us, and I played into Kieran's Death Guard, and I he had like a load of um, dreadnoughts and stuff, mm. and I decided to unleash the lions turn one, and as soon as I did that and we played out my first turn, I realised I'd lost, and because it was a league game, it was we kind of played on, but all that happened was I stewed for the next two hours as I was like, well, I've just lost this game. What's the point? I'm not playing for anything. Well, can I ask why that cost you the game? Because I'm quite interested in the learning experience. Um, so for those who don't know, Unleash the Lions is where I basically, the list was based around a big blob of bikes and a big yep. blob of Terminators. And turn one, I had all the Terminators on the board. I, I Unleashed the Lions, so it became... I think it was six or seven individual units. Yeah. The problem was he had all of these powerful, um, like Leviathan Dreadnoughts and Bloat Drones and that, which could, so a Leviathan Dreadnought, for example, could put one arm into one Alaris, 
one arm into the other and very right, right. Kill it. Yeah. I couldn't stack any of my buffs onto them. And the idea was, you know, I'd go around and score engage and all that sort of thing. But mm. actually what happened was I just got table. Well, they all died immediately. Um, mm. You know, stuff like, oh, I can auto explode my fitted bloke drone and do D3 mortal wounds to all of your terminators. Because uh, And then it's on each individual guy. Yeah, yeah, and, you know, yeah, yeah. Probably, That's you hilarious. Try, I'll bear try, that one in mind though. That's great. Yeah, you charge <laughs> like four terminators into a bloke drone where you're only yeah. hitting with one and then he's interrupting. Yeah, 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 yeah. And it, it was just like in hindsight, was, but that was one of those things where I've been like, right, well, this is the list. This is how the list plays. Do it. And actually, yes. in that particular yes. game, it, it didn't work at all. So um, that's really interesting, though. That's an interesting example because yeah, that, that's one of those things that people will say with custodians you should do, right? And I guess in in that game, what you've learned is it's situational, and yeah, you don't always you don't always want it. Yeah, mm. exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, I think generally, you know. Um, making those small adjustments and going back and seeing how it affects the game. I think mm. that's really interesting. And I think the important thing is that you're just, you're both on the same page. Um, yep. Like talk it through with your opponent. Like, cause I know when I'm playing and my opponent's saying what they want to do out loud, I'm like, Oh, please don't do that. Please don't do that. I know what I don't want them to do. Well, if you're having a friendly game, ask them, what do you think is, what stuff do you not want me to target? like what would you want me to be yeah. like what would you like me to be hiding away or being aggressive with like find out just from like I, i've played into tower a lot of times now but i still don't know exactly what that tower player is thinking and i think it's really interesting to know what are their main concerns because you see things very differently when you're playing yeah. i'll be like oh i'm really worried and jamie will be like no mate you're fine and yeah it's just it's just being a pessimist yeah, exactly. We always are. Aren't we? When you're losing, it's so cl- it's amazing how clearly you see the game compared to when you're winning. Um, I think so- another thing on that on that uh, perfect practice is also um, spiking of roles. Like if we're having a practice match and we want to see how two lists run into each other, um, say I've hit your bikes and wounded six times with three damaged plasma shots, and you don't and you fail all of your four up saves, and suddenly that bike squad's gone. I don't think that's really beneficial to a to yeah, a practice that's match. Changing, yeah. yeah, so instead that's of having one and a half bikes left, you've now got nothing. It's um so I just don't think that's um it's helpful for any of us because now I'm artificially thinking, oh, that, that squad can easily wipe those bikes out and you're thinking, <laughs> crap, I've got nothing, there's no point in me carrying on, whereas one and a half bikes mm. can do a lot of damage to a tower gun line. So I yeah, think a lot so of that, a swing moment like that might be a sensible yeah, re-rack kind of moment. I mean, I mean not everything, but it, you know, if just if yeah. you've failed six out of six four ups, think, well no, just past three of them will carry on and you know, yeah. as if you'd rolled averages. I think sometimes like that it makes sense just to say, you know what, we'll go with the averages and we'll carry on from there. Um, and and I think give both players a better idea. I think it comes boils down to like kind of not being afraid to lose the game. Um, I think I've mentioned it oh, before. Oh yeah, yeah, when, yeah. I played, um, when I played Kieran's orcs, and I just threw my custodies at him, and it was a bit of an embarrassing destruction. Um, but you know, he, I, I learned a lot in that game. I learned what sort of damage they can output. And I think especially when you're playing one of the top armies, like I can already think with my harlequins. I'm like. Oh, imagine when I start learning my Harlequins. What happens if I play them and I lose all the time with my friends? Like, it's <laughs> going to be really embarrassing. You kind of mm. have to leave the pride at the door. Um, oh yeah. You want to. You have to think about well, what what's the goal here? Um, mm. And you've got to both be. You know, your your friends are trying to work together. Um, and I think those are the sorts of things you want to talk about. Um, Jamie kind of covered the embracing the. Um, 
the content stuff out there. But one more thing I would add is in terms of event packs, you know, over here we have the Warhammer tournaments who are putting on like a major a, um, a month, same terrain, same mission. If you're serious about doing better, get that terrain out on your board and deploy your army in each yeah. of the matches. Um, mm. It's amazing how, I mean, I've had a few games where I've recently practiced that mission or that board um, beforehand. It's amazing the amount of confidence that gives you. You're like, okay, well, I've got a game plan here. I know where I'm moving. I know what I'm going to do. I remember you mentioning at the weekend about Don Maidlow, who'd gone onto the board on TTS and yeah. lined up where everything yeah, yeah. was. So he literally mapped it out. He was mapping out a non-Eldritch Storm area of the board, right, yeah. in case he went second, um, which is remarkable dedication. And so that's that's, that's the level of, of preparation that the very, top very top players, players make. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. No, so that's, that's how far up you can get. Right. And you yeah. can be you can be that meticulous. So yeah, that's me for um, beforehand. Yeah, no, I think that's good. Um, so I'll, I'll add a couple. I think know what your own limitations are before you start is useful. You know, do you do you have rules on what you take? Because those might set you back, right? If I want to run this faction and it's not it's struggling, that's going to limit certain things, and that's going to make get certain games feel certain ways. If you want to run certain types of units because they're fun or because because they're fluffy, whatever else that that's going to put certain kind of constraints on on outcomes, and so having an honest assessment of what those are, so you know what you can realistically expect, I think is useful. I think the other thing is to start building realistic data on yourself, because this is quite a new thing that I think is actually quite interesting. Because you know, with things like ITC battles, that you know, you guys have both talked, I think, quite eloquently about how soaking up theory and ideas and th from other players is very useful. Um, through content but the other thing you can do more than ever i think is have a very clear sense of your own numbers you know in in quite an interesting way so you you can if you record every game and log every game that, that you're playing you get you begin to build a picture of yeah. a how how you do into certain types of matchup b how you do with certain types of army i think that's really useful as well having a sense of that um, and you also are able to look at your scoring across a game and go back to games and look at how you've where you've scored well and where you've struggled with particular secondaries with particular choices whether whether it's the primary that's hurting you everything else and I think that's something that if you like if you want to improve being able to collate and use that I think is quite useful. Um, we've talked about understanding your army as well as you can understanding other people's armies and I think you know soaking up content and ideas is really useful for that. Um, I think the point you made about winning is a really good one because, as you know, as you've alluded to, winning isn't learning as such. Mm -hmm. And if you are having games regularly where you're just smashing your opponent, or you've got you've got a local matchup, well, you, you know, you may, you may have a, a local matchup, you have a local player you really like playing, and you guys play all the time, but it's not close. It's not you know, it's, the, the game isn't particularly close. Then making that harder, I think, can be beneficial. Um, for you as a player, if you're like, if you're like, well, okay, well, whenever I take that, it's just a massacre. I then take something, take something that puts you in a, in a harder position because then you're going to be putting yourself in more difficult positions in the game um, as well. It's interesting. The re-racking thing I think is really useful. I think playing all game states at least a few times with your army is also useful though right i think that's it's that's like one chess, thing. Isn't it? it is a bit like chess yeah because well. that's it because i have i have i certainly have friends locally where if the game's gone they would or or they perceive it to be gone then they just they just 
stop. Mm-hmm. And it can be a case of, well, you're not going to know how to scrap for those eight, 10 points at the end of a game, which is such an important thing to be able to do um, if you don't ever try that. And and you may well be in a game um, subsequently where you, where you, you haven't got that experience and, and being able to chase a game and, and, and sort of scrap for points later on is, is a useful practice to have. But as you say, it's a case of, working out and being a judge of when it's relevant and when it's not if it's a, if it's a landslide and there's nothing to be had or if it's a tabling then there's not yeah. going to be that you know you're not going to have that right that's not yeah. that's not going to happen so that, there's definitely states where it's, it's beyond that kind of that recovery but i think practicing in all sorts of game states well let's say and that could be an interesting one as well you know kind of in a matchup where it's like going first this is relatively straightforward for me going second it isn't or vice versa then put yourself practice putting yourself in the opposite situation in the more difficult situation i think can be can be quite useful as well i watched a um game on the art of war room where lennon was practicing his harlequin's adepticon list yes and basically told siegler to build a towel list that was going to be horrendous for him and yeah. he kind of thought about what what's the worst case scenario me going second right i want you to go second yeah so he's really stress testing his list yeah stress, stress testing i think is is a really good point i think that's seeking out difficult situations difficult matchups difficult game states is is really beneficial it's not always pleasant it can be quite because you have to, you kind of have to leave ego to one side don't you you have to kind of put down yeah, well, exactly. that sense of oh i win all my games that and therefore that makes me a good player it's like well if, if we know we have we have quite a lot of say in what games we end up playing so if you're just yeah. curating curating a world of easier <laughs> games for yourself that's saying very little about you as a player and as you know for things we've already discussed in previous episodes win rates alone don't tell you a lot about people anyway because there's so many other factors and variables yeah. involved but yeah i think I think regarding yourself as always wanting to learn other armies and also learn how other people see the game and understand the game, I think that's really that's really good, and I think that's definitely how a lot a lot of a greater amount of open mindedness towards the game comes from. And that's you know, if you have people that you play against and you just hear them talking about the game, and it's like, wow, I'm learning a lot. You know, then those are the people you want to play. I said, I know we shout him out every week on this podcast, but Stuart, our local Death Guard player, just just has a sort of chess brain for 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 games, and he's just one of these people that when you're talking to him about the game, you're just you're just seeing this whole other version of it Mm. uh, laid out, and so that's that's a really beneficial opponent to have, right? Whereas you, there are also oh sorry, Jim, you go, yeah. I think me and you, Chris, had that when we played the doubles event. Is that um, just having someone next to you, you know, who we probably really see the game very similar anyway? Is that yeah. just someone else's opinion? Is like, ah, didn't think of that, and yeah. you know, just just one comment makes you just see the board state a completely different way, and it's like, oh, yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, yeah, think, that's really uh, interesting. Doubles tournaments. That's, uh, yeah, so I, I just think playing different styles of games as well, like the teams, the doubles, yeah. the singles, um, will, will broaden your horizons no end because talking yeah, just having someone's. Yeah, definitely is talking is, um, yeah, when there's someone else standing next to you goes, oh, I thought that. And you're like, oh, I didn't even see that. And next time <laughs> when you go into that match, you'll think, well, no, last time that worked. So we'll go with that. Yeah, uh, yeah definitely. Difference. Yeah, really Sorry, nice. Tom, anyway. No, no, it's a, really, it's a really interesting example, actually. I think having having someone else eyeballing your decisions is something we actually don't get to do a lot if it's always you versus someone else and no one's giving that up right so actually having having someone look at the board from your side and offer their thoughts is quite quite helpful so actually doubles is quite a nice way into doing that perhaps we've um we've spoken about two things we've spoken about um math hammering a game out 
Yeah. Just poker nights at the weekend, like just bang average dice, what happened. <laughs> yeah, um, bang I think that would be dice. an interesting thing to do. Yeah. But um, also playing, I, I, I haven't done it, literally just thought this, but playing a game against your opponent, but playing the game together. So yes. trying to play like the most perfect game of Warhammer you can. Be like, well, I'm going to do this. And then if your opponent would be like, oh, well, I would just do this. Okay, right. And then coming together to mm. work out what you think the best way of playing each turn is and then seeing who triumphs. Yeah. Um, I think that would be interesting because then you're kind yeah. of playing both sides. I had it when I was trying to, other Jamie, I was trying to help him out with his sisters in preparation for the team mm. tournament. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just come off doing, I think, Beachhead Brawl. I was feeling like quite confident with the list and I was kind of like trying to talk him through how to be super defensive. We kind of played his army a bit together to an extent. Yeah. Um, and because I was then able to tell him the things that I didn't want him to do. Yeah. Um, yeah. And yeah, I think it was it was beneficial. So I think those sorts mm. of things, if you can both get on board, it will also really help you to learn your opponent's army if yes. you're having to find out what, can he do and that sort of yeah. thing? Yeah, because I think I think knowing where the vulnerabilities are is a huge a huge part of turning an army from something you're a bit scared of into something you can deal with, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I think for for me this year, this particular season, the the bogeyman for me is Thousand Suns because it t- it took me so many goes before I actually was so, something like Drakari, which actually played badly, doesn't like Thousand Suns very much because yeah. because of the, the mortals and the fragile, expensive stuff with not many wounds. It's that's one of those ones where eventually you start seeing, oh, well, they don't want to come here. It'll take them forever to get here. They mm-hmm. want to, They only have so much stuff, and and they get. And so you start being able to build kind of game plans plans that run counter to how they want to function, and you start knowing knowing the ins and outs of of what what the army's limits are. Um, but that's that's always the way, isn't it? Where you, you, it takes a few goes to start seeing an army as as the person playing it is is seeing it and working out where those weak spots are. So it becomes a bit less intimidating, right? Okay. Yeah. Well, let's let's move on to whilst competing. What are the things you can do to help yourself develop during the very act and process of competing itself? Be that in a horrible league match with someone who's very scary, or at a competitive event, or whatever else in the get during the game itself. What can you do? to continue to develop as a player. Let's start with you, Chris, because Jamie went first last time. Cool. Um, so questions. You need to ask your opponent some questions. Yes, um, you do, yes. There are obviously an infinite number of questions you can ask them. Maybe it'd be good mm. to do a show sometime on purely just what to ask your opponent. Oh, totally, but yeah. I think generally what you want to be able to identify is know what your army's weaknesses are, and what have they got that counters that? Um, so, for example, if you are playing Tau, you don't really need to ask, do you have a fight last? Because that's probably <laughs> not going to be such a concern for you. No, probably um, not. But, but um, knowing the basics of stuff like, do you have advance and charge? Do you have any way of improving your charge distance? You know, find out what the big scary units are, those sorts of things. Being able to ask the questions, the worst thing you can do is have your opponent just tell you all the shooting profiles of all of the guns (laughs) because I can guarantee it you are not going to remember any of that. I mean, a case in point was when Admech had just come out and I played into um, Sisters. He told me, amongst various other pieces of information, that Celestine had a six-inch heroic. But he told Mm. me a load of other stuff. And turn one, I went and flew my planes 
in across the board to get engaged and was mm. within six inches of Cerstein, who immediately chopped up a plane. And I, I just got overwhelmed with information. Um, yes. So knowing the individual gun profiles and those sorts of things, it's really not going to matter at the end of the day. Um, mm. You just need to think about your army and how they're going to affect. Keep asking as the game goes on. I just constantly ask questions over and over as the yes. game goes. Each time I do something, right, is there any way of you doing this or that? Um, yeah. I really... One a question I ask more and more these days is, can this unit heroically intervene? Can it intervention is one of the killer, killer things. Intervention and interruption and fight last are so big. I think no knows is really important. Um, so you've yep. got to get the questions up. Um, yep. Then in terms of other things, um, it's a bit of a bugbear of mine when people are playing and then I look across at their scoreboards and they don't know what the score is. I'm yes. Like, and they're like, oh, yes. I'm like, what turns it? Three. Well, what's the score? Don't know. Mm-hmm. They're just ticking it off on the sheet of paper. Oh. Like, well, how are you understanding? <laughs> how are you understanding where what you need to do, whether you're ahead or behind, whether you need to play defensively yeah. or attacking? Like information is power, right? You need to have yeah, oh, yeah. information is possible so that's why i will put if my opponent's gone to the last they're getting that 15 points straight away mm-hmm. Always, um, yeah. and i think that is so important itc battles app helps that a lot um mm. but i mean yeah i just I, I personally would find it very frustrating to not know what the score was when i'm playing um, yeah. and i think you can link to that trying to actually track what your prediction of the game is. Now, I'm not at that level yet. And that is one thing every time I go to, I'm like, right, I need to start doing it. And then I just get caught up with playing because inevitably I'm using some new army or slightly different army that I'm having to focus that on. And that's probably a different point is stop changing armies. Um, (laughs) But um, I think just if you can get to that point, I mean, you could do the simple stuff, like think about your primary. Just try and focus on the primary. Like at most Mm. missions they're probably going to be scoring eight each turn on their primary. Realistically, mm. you're not going to knock them off too. Sure, some you're going to be able to. Um, but have that stored up ahead, right? Well, we're both going to score, probably going to score about 40. So what secondary do I need to tackle to try and even this, or get the edge mm-hmm. and that sort of thing? Or what one can I take out? I'm just trying to have that idea of the game. Um mm. and then the own um oh, so two more things in terms of the game. Um Measuring, you don't measure enough. That's a fact. Everyone, you don't measure enough in the game. Um, (laughs) Measure out your turn. Plan where you're going to go. Whenever I've played the really top players, generally the Mm. movement phase is preceded by a, I'm going to measure all the distances. Where are you going to be able to go? And it's Mm. not eyeballing. I do this. I go, oh, right, you can go how far? Eight. Oh, that's roughly there. Oh, you might be able to see around there. Probably not. I don't know. No, I don't actually find out. And then when I'm getting shot at by this thing that I thought I might not get shot at, it's quite yep. frustrating. Um, it's the yep. same with the deployment. I'm like, oh, I'll just hide behind here because I'm safe. And then you suddenly see them lining it up and you're like, oh, no, I'm not safe at all. Um, so just thinking about that. Um, and then linked to that is having a cohesive plan um, in your deployment phase, um, thinking about what you're going to do Mm-hmm. with all of your units when yes. you get to move um i yep. had a classic thing at beachhead brawl second game i played against vic vj came out second with his towel and yep. i i had the minus one to banner 
and I deployed everything as much as I could behind this ruin. But I had my Vexilla on one side and my bikes on the other. And basically all my bikes scooted off down one side and my Vexilla could only had no chance of catching up. So kind of no. just hovered on the right side and gave minus one to hit to a single dreadnought that he was never going to shoot at in the first place. <laughs> um, because I hadn't at all planned out where I was going to go. I just yeah, kind of like... Yeah. I'll see what happens. I'm roughly in the right place. And I wasn't at all. So don't just drop with impunity. Make sure you have a plan with your um with your deployment. It'd be a thing that I think a lot of people maybe you kind of you see the terrain, you're like, okay, I'll put this here, this here, and this here. And you don't actually think, well, what am I doing with the things in these places? Mm. Um so just try and even if it's it's something as simple as this is my shooting units, this is my Sagittarium. Let's make sure Trajan or my shield captain's there so that I'm getting some really roll ones from my shooting units. Yeah. Um, it's just like little things like that. But no, they're nice. Just yeah. some things you can think about during the, the game. The measurement one seems particularly relevant. Having just had the game with Paul, Paul has a plus one to charge banner. And that just what I realized was I have a very good sort of knack for just basic charges, but in a game where there's that plus one everywhere, I was just getting it. Compl- I was just getting it just wrong every time. I was like, it was just, I was just not quite far enough away all the time. Like there were yeah. so many moments where that banner meant what I thought was a safe distance wasn't a safe distance. Um, and so it's, it's an interesting thing how how little little things like that can really 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 mess with with your and you need to be really really precise, really forensic to make sure those things don't don't sort of uh, bite you. Jamie, let's talk through some in-game improvement and developmental wisdoms from yourself. Yeah, so just going back on that measurement thing, um, I saw a game between Nick Nanavart and Richard Siegler. um, They're both fine, both perfectly fine players. players. (laughs) Uh, Siegler playing Tau with some uh, deep strike heavy fast sight enclaves and Nick Nanavati Mm. running his GSC. And um, yes, <laughs> like measure, a legend. I'm not, not sure if you've seen it, Chris, um, where he <laughs> measures out the GSC deep strikes um, mm. to perfectly screen out the entire board. Um, yeah. So Siegler's unable to bring in his reserves and he's left with three squads on the table. Um, and that uh, pre-movement phase there where he's screening out, dicing out everywhere that's nine yeah. inches uh, away from anything. Um, probably yeah. took about 25 minutes, half an hour. Um, <laughs> but essentially would win you the game because yeah. he's yeah. then got two squads of five crisis suits that he's never bringing on the table. Uh, yeah. And it just counts as destroyed. Just because you spent mm-hmm. that extra 15, 20 minutes thinking, hang on a minute, I might be able to screen this out. So he can't even bring mm. them on and they're just a non-point. So, um, yeah, you know, you may not think, oh, he, he doesn't want me to spend 20 minutes on my moving face. You know, I want this to be fun for both guys. It's like, bang on a minute, yeah. this this could make the difference between winning and losing. And I think yeah, some yeah. people might get a bit worried, look, hang on a minute, I don't want to be that guy that's, you know, just trying to slow play him. I was like, well, no. I mean, even if you're on a clock, that extra half hour in that movement phase might make the difference between a win or a loss. Your next yep. three your mm. next three turns might only be 10 minutes because he's no, only exactly, got a couple of squads left. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, got nothing with, with deep striking, I think, always put the time in, right? Always put yeah. the time in, yeah. Um, it's, it can be it can be massive yeah and also going back to the questions the, the pre-game questions you ask your opponent uh i think more so than just um does this guy advance and charge how far does these move what's there for, um i think asking the questions in the right manner now um the one thing i could think of is uh the current codex of gene stealer the tyrannies for the gene stealers is that yes they can advance and charge but i think you the question you need to ask is what's their maximum threat range because yes they can advance and charge but 
that threat range isn't there at 20 inches because he can also move again with the Swarm Lord. He's mm. now moving another 12 inches. And you think, yes. oh no. So what's the absolute maximum threat range? Because he might not be purposely withholding information. He just might not be thinking of everything at that time when you ask him. Yeah, it's like, yeah, they, yeah. yeah, they can advance charge. But it's like, have you got any other rules that, you know, what is that absolute yeah, yeah, maximum yeah, yeah. threat range? Because um, Threat range is a good a good one to take in, I think. Yeah, I think that's, it's that's, trying, that's more uh, comprehensive, isn't it? Yeah, I think it's just trying to word your questions right where, you, where you're missing out any potential loopholes. You know, you might have a, an opponent that doesn't want to tell you all the information or you might just get some that just might not be thinking of everything at the time because they've also got a plan mm. there for their first turn, their deployment. So um, mm. I think, yeah, trying to make things as easy for them as possible saying, look, I know yeah. he's got some funky rule where he can move again. What's their maximum threat range just so I can stay outside of that? Um, yeah. You know. Just, just try to help each other, try to make things as easy as possible, asking the right questions rather than as many questions as you can. Definitely. Um, yeah, I think with the, with the questions thing, once you're asking good questions, this, this whole sort of cultural concept of the gotcha moment, that there are very, very few gotcha moments once you have good questions, right? Once, you, once, you, once yeah. you're asking good questions, there are very, very few. And a lot of the time, the gotcha moment as a concept is just a stand-in for you weren't well informed enough to play the situation yeah. correctly, basically. And that's and the and so I think it's it's one of these things where it can it can mask basically just not good intel gathering, and good intel gathering makes makes those much less likely. Yeah, um, nice one. You carry on. Uh, so the the one thing I've got here um, is not so much uh, during a game, but during an event in between games. Uh, the one thing I know I don't do enough is after you've just lost to someone is that you need to ask them some questions. Um, you know, we all get a bit grumpy after we lose. We don't want to talk to the guy who just wiped us off the table. But yep. um, you can ask them, you know, what could I have done to alter the scoreline, put you under more pressure? Um, what in my list gave you concerns? What in my gameplay concerns you? You know, what was the biggest risk to your victory? Um mm. Mm. Would turn priority have changed the outcome as well? Um, is my yeah. list too too reliant on going first? Is it too reliant on going second? Yeah. Is my deployment too reliant on going first or second? You know, is there is there ways I can change my deployment or my list in future um, yeah. to sort of counteract that and and have a more rounded game? Um, mm. But I think you know the one guy who's just beat you. He's he's the best informed to help you improve as a player because he knows how he beat you. He knows what you could have done to to stop that yeah. happening. So mm-hmm. you know you might even face the same army in the next round. So you think, well, yeah. hang on a minute, I might face that army again. How do you think I could have done to to better face that? You know, I think everyone mm. at events or ninety nine percent of people at events would happily sit and talk to you fifteen twenty minutes after a game just about their list and you know they just won so they're happy people, to talk about that game. Talk about Warhammer. <laughs> yeah. You know, after, after he's just won, he's happy to talk about that forever. But um, yeah, tails wagging. <laughs> yeah, so I think they're the best informed person to help you out in that moment yeah. in time. So so you know you're there for three hours. Grab the rest of the time with him and try and help you and inform you ready for your next one. But yeah, that, that's all I got really for uh, during an event or the like. I think I think I think those are the killer things, really. I, I really do. I think I think asking the right questions and learning to ask the right questions is massive. I think using the knowledge and this is this is the recurring theme from the first section is other players make us better, right? Other players make us better players. And every event you play five players and a lot of the time you play better players than you. That's how events work, right? Gradually, eventually, you're going to hit better players than you. Mm-hmm. And so, and so, certainly, I, you know, that's one of the best things about and so if you don't use that resource, if you don't use the, the knowledge of the other person opposite you, 
as much as you're able and obviously you know as as we've kind of said it this might not be as easy to access during the game because obviously there's there's limits to how much and but this does vary you get people who are very very happy to talk a lot through a lot of how their army plays right even even during a game but especially afterwards you know it's it's a missed opportunity if you're not going to learn from the people that you play games with and and can try and get a sense of 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 what you can do against their particular armies more in future because you could it's always hard to learn every army inside out but um when you play against other armies piloted by people who know them inside out is, is when you're, you know, you're, you're best positioned to get that information. No, definitely. Um, I think, I also, think those just are back to, really oh, good God. things. Yeah. 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 Also going back to the deployment, um, it's in a couple of stream games now with uh, top level players and they're deploying completely irrespective of what the other guy is doing because they've deployed yeah. <laughs> their armies so many times that they're thinking, oh, yeah. I know where my army is going. I don't need to go one and one and one and one with no, you no, because no. Yeah, I yeah. know my game plan. I know what I'm doing. You know, the last couple of units, you might just have to, to hang back and see where they're going to put your big hitters. But 90% of their army is down before they even looked at their opponent. Um, mm. And also that then frees up more time to ask the questions or, or while you're putting down, you can ask questions. You know, you don't have to put one down, have a look where he's going, plan your next after that. I think you need to be able to to have an idea when you walk up to that table, you've seen the terrain before, you know where your army's going, irrespective mm. of where he's going, because you've already got that turn one plan, yeah. like Chris said. Um, yeah. Is that stop trying to react to all of his drops, because then that's throwing you off what your plan is. You know, have yeah. a first turn plan and stick to that, you know, um, yeah. rather than letting him trip you up with his deployments, because you mm. know, so many armies now have redeployment that that deployment phase is is a non-point anyway. <laughs> you know, it's all mind tricks. Well, don't let him drag you into that. You deploy yeah. your army where you're confident that you'll make, you know, have a good game and mm. uh, not get drawn into that to that mind game thing. Mm. Yeah. yeah, and I think that, that's an interesting point because it's something actually it kind of takes me back to Chris's original point about feeling he had made some errors whilst he was playing the Thousand Sons. I mean the more things you're trying to remember about your own army during an event, the more room there is for those little mistakes to happen. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's, that's probably chances are the reason that in the event itself, you made plays you weren't happy with is because you were already trying to remember a ton of additional things that would with, with the armies you're, you know, experienced with wouldn't even be there. Right. The plan, you know, the plan would be plan would already be very much embedded. So I think, I think, yeah, as, you know, as you say, having, practicing and bedding in that kind of muscle memory of how your particular army deploys and plays and moves and where it, where it fights and when um, is really, really good. And that's that's when you start to free yourself up to focus on the important questions and the important things yeah. about what you're playing against rather than your own stuff. Very good. Okay, right. Well, let's let's think briefly about improving after the event, what you can do after you've played, after you've been out to wherever you've been. How can you continue your development then? Jamie, do you want to kick us off? Yeah, sure. So I think that my first point here goes back to the communication amongst players is what we were talking about earlier, is that, you know, I think most players tend to drive to events with other people um, or group up <laughs> yeah. in a car. I think while that event is still fresh in your mind, I think the most important thing there is just talk through your rounds. You know, it doesn't have to talk um, in great detail about each of your phases, but you think, right, this is what I did here or your key of uh, your key rounds where you went wrong i think um that mm. this is what i did and other people have played those armies they've played you know with them or against them and they know think well why didn't you just do that and you're like ah oh. so i think you know 
someone with a, with a broad overview of your army and and your matchup will think, well, couldn't you have just done that? And you're like, oh, I was so mm-hmm. caught up yeah. in the in the yeah. minutiae of the game that I didn't think of that. And I think just throwing ideas around in a car with two or three of you, you know, there's there's two or three players there that have all played the armies. They all know how they work. And um, yeah, I just think some some broad overviews will just um, help highlight things that you may have missed while while the stress and the, the minutia of the game is just um, weighing down on you, I think. Um, mm. The second thing is, obviously, once you get home, you start to, to look into your list, you know, what, oh, what pulled oh, its weight. Yes. Um, oh, yes. You know, the, the, there's things you put into your list to, for certain secondaries, you know, did they work? Did you play those secondaries? You know, or I think a lot of people are adding in retrieve Knackman data units, things for engage. Did you take engage or did, did your opponent's army affect that well do i need those in there if i'm not taking engage sort mm. of four out of the five rounds or um my big killing units did they pull their weight do i need more buffing units um things like that um i think we're not critical enough of our list you know we come back we think oh we went three and two what did i mess up but you don't think right each of my units have a breakdown look did he pull his weight did it do the job um mm. did did they hold primary well enough did they achieve certain secondaries that they were put in there for um, I think a lot of people were obviously adding in Inquisitors for a little while for psychic interrogation and then <laughs> and then realised that hang on a minute I've got one character and he's just going to get sniped out turn one and now I can't get psychic interrogation they're like do I really need this guy in there um, <laughs> you might lose it turn one and risk a zero on a secondary then uh, every now and again I may get a 15 so I think it's having a look at your your tech choices you know I think the bulk of your list sort of picks itself in most cases mm. but those tech choices you pick you know did they pull their weight did they do what you wanted them to if not was it your fault was it the mm. the unit's fault or or vice versa um and also i think having a look at opponents you lost to the lists you lost to um, and see if you can practice um against them you know i think yeah. we've all got a lot of people around us you know within the local area those of us fortunate to um who have most of the codexes in the game um so, yeah. you know, say you went against a Death Guard list with Mortarian, well, I know someone who's got that list. I'll have a couple of practice games against them, see if I play differently. And, uh, yeah, just run at it a few times to see if there's anything you can do differently. Speak to them and say, what are you scared of? You know, what can I do to beat your list? Um, and, you know, just try and um, close out those matches that were tight or, or ones you mm. lost. And just see it from their point of view as well. Say, look, how are you worried that I'll beat you? Um, and just things like mm. that that... You know, the going into the event, you probably hadn't really thought about that list, but you come up against it and thought, you know what, I really don't know what to do against this. I don't practice against mm-hmm. it enough. Um, mm-hmm. Mine was was when I came up against demons when I was running my grey knights. Um, didn't know any of their strats and like, you know, they can bring back a whole new unit if you kill it against grey knights. And I was like, <laughs> I well, can. I didn't know this. So now I'm facing him like, well, I don't want to kill anything because he's just going to bring it back next turn. So I'm just sitting there like, <laughs> trying to score prim- primary thinking, well, do I want to kill anything? Do I not? And so I think after that kill I'm it like, all in one I've, go yeah so so when I was running grey nuts I'm like so I really want to practice against them now just to to learn all those tricks yeah. because I'd just never run into them before so I was just mm. completely taken aback on the day and uh, so yeah I think that's that's all I've got for that very interesting Chris Thanks. anything you want to add to that yeah I think um, kind of the general reflecting as Jamie says is so important and that starts straight after the game with the questions that you can be asking Mm. as Jamie said and then talking with other people I think trying to 
identify that moment when you lost because inevitably there probably was that moment where you had to make a decision or two it is really easy to blame dice um before yeah. being, we all will carry on doing it even though we shouldn't blame dice, we <laughs> will still blame dice. i've seen um, some of the very best players in the world blame their dice because you know sometimes like dice is quite a contributing factor to the result of the game like i do have I, a say yeah, no Jamie, game was won without them. Exactly. Jamie and I have played enough Tower Custody <laughs> games now to know that there are pivotal moments in the game where dice have to spike, will spike one way or the other, and that may well have a big impact. But a lot of the time, it will come down to target priority or you allowing them to do charges or that sort of thing. Um, I can hark back to that final game for Thousand Sons into the um, Imperial Guard where I went back and I looked through the moves that I made some quite clear moves and they weren't the right ones. I didn't quite get it right. And those were the clear reasons why I lost that game. So trying to identify the losing moment, I think, is um, is really helpful because you then hopefully won't make that mistake again. Um, and then finally, when you go back to your list, as we always do as long as you think you've got the the right idea behind it your next games you don't want to just try and completely rewrite that list you want to make small adjustments and see see if you can work out the weaknesses it could be giving yourself another secondary option that's why i have got the inquisitor in my list for um the custodies because he is useful in certain matchups. Yeah, some games. Um, and I'm sure there are some matchups where it's a trap to use him for that secondary, and there's some way you're never going to use him. But then, hey, he's a great model to sit in the backfield. Simple as that. Um, so it's about building in that utility to an extent. But yeah, don't go, oh, right, well, this didn't work. I'm now going to drop 700 points of my army and try something else. Yeah. Um, well, actually, if you were already in a reasonable place with your list, change you know 25 20% of your list I think that's whatever. a sensible amount um, just, to um, sort of try you know, and limit yourself maybe to. even like 100 200 points mm-hmm. try you know just buffing a unit size or something like that um it might well be i mean the classic thing at the moment is there are a lot of six man units flying around deep striking in for uh R&D so that's just something you could try and then obviously you have to well where am I going to get those points from mm. what what can you drop what can what's the most efficient way of doing it so don't make wholesale changes oh I had this tournament where my doomsday arcs just rolled ones all the time on their shots that happened to me a lot but I knew the general mathematically the list worked in eighth and I kept playing it um, just because you have a bad game but that's the worst when people have one bad game. I remember playing my my Necron flying gun line list in eighth, and I played and three turns in a row, all three Doomsday Arcs rolled ones on their shots. So just, just rolled nine ones in a row. Like it would have been so easy to go, right, well, these are going. But you know, that you have to try and take the the ridiculousness out of the situation and just go with um, those little changes and see if the list works over a period of time. So is that polling incoming then, Chris, that you're going to be running that Necron gun line? uh, I think I am, actually. He is uh, is taking it. Scrivo Bowl. Yeah, he's taking it to Scrivo Slam, which is I think makes him a hero, so that's great. So I think I haven't worked out yet, but two Doom Scythes, three Doomsday Arcs, two Tesseract Arcs. Oh, that's amazing. I mean, that's probably actually quite horrible to play against as well, so I quite like that. I'm hoping it's like going to Lee and go first and just D6 damage him. 
be fun. It'd be fun to try it out again. Yeah. No, it's going to be good. Yeah, I, I think. I mean, you've you've both touched on the essential things, which I would say. Which is, I th- there's there's two ways you can go wrong, right? One is you don't examine your own mistakes and shortcomings and how you could improve. I think you do need to. You know, the buck always starts with you. I think if you emphasize, if you focus too much on variance or state of the meta or whatever else, you're going to miss the things you can control. I think with the list, as you say, it's a fine. It's interesting because you both kind of have a slightly different take on it, and you're both right because essentially, changing and adapting your list is good. Changing and adapting it too much or in a knee-jerk way is not because it, it it needs to be very thought out and very justified. And I think interrogating and justifying decisions at each step is good, and that's kind of something we've talked about already. I think that's something you can be doing before, during, and after playing. Is why am I doing this or choosing this? what are the pros and cons of this decision with list revision that's a big one am i just chucking this out because i feel a bit bad because it didn't work in one game okay at least i know that's why i'm doing that right you need to you need to have a sort of honest honest assessment of why and explain why you're going to drop a unit i think the most recent example i've i've i rage chucked out the kelomorph out recently because the Kel- <laughs> i was like I'm, I'm done i'm done with the flipping kelomorph misses all his shots is just another character for assassinate is really annoying i've never seemed to know where to position him etc and the important thing in making that decision making that swap was well can i get with 80 points a substantial improvement in my list to its ability to play the mission to contest primary because these were things it was struggling to do and the answer is yes there's absolutely 80 points in a gc consist that you can put into other things that can be doing other jobs and not aren't just a sort of what you might call a sort of glory piece which the kelomorph is because ultimately he's cool he can do he's some a damage gunslinging cowboy what else he's do you a gunslinging cowboy he's awesome <laughs> but his ability to contribute to the crucial scoring elements of the game is actually not as high as as, yeah. as some other units might be so that's that's how the justification has to be it doesn't have to be all right well he's just whiffed this one time so i'm gonna have a sulk it has to be can i find a <laughs> strong suitable candidate to replace it and can i justify why i'm doing that yeah um and so and, and as you said as chris kind of says don't revise too much of your list in one go don't chuck out the sub faction don't chuck out the army don't chuck out this that and this um, people I know go and start playing the army they lost to immediately after events, and <laughs> it's, it's, it's sort of like, don't know. That's that's not, that's a, that's a limited, a limited <laughs> kind of way of, of of coping with with adversity. I think it's, it's gonna, you're going to struggle to bed in and get that knowledge built up if you're just like, oh, well, I lost that. I'll go and play that now. <laughs> um, excellent. Okay. Well, I think that's our that's our general our general run through of player development i hope i hope you guys listening find that useful let us know if particular things have worked for you any tips tricks that you've got for your own development that we can bear in mind and i hope i hope that plays out for you well so we'll be back in a moment with our very next segment which is i fought the law and the law won Boom. Yeah. okay sponsors credits rolling etc cigarette sponsored oh, by do, Oh, oh, a quick oh. word from our sponsors is definitely what we need. Quick word from our sponsors, yeah. Who would sponsor us? Oh, Dense Fence. Dense Fence sponsors us. Yeah, now. get Dense Fence on it. Dense get Fence. Have you got Dense them. Fence there, Chris? Yes! Yes! 
you need uh, a, as, you do as need the a owner of the ballistic skill four army can i just say i'm so glad we used that that was that was really good i didn't shoot down the middle ones yeah for a reason for a reason yeah. <laughs> because there was a, a slipping yeah, fence there and i had to go around instead <laughs> <laughs> but no good dense terrain that is a useful thing to have on your battlefield to ignore me um yeah Welcome back, listener, to I Fought the Law and the Law One. And today, our law head, resident narrative fluffy player Chris, is going to take us through some of his favourite law. Chris, what law are you going to talk us through today? So much favourite law, so many options. So many um, options. Uh, obviously, <laughs> there's this army at the moment that are doing quite well called the Harlequins. Yeah, they're all right. Uh, so I thought. Well, last time I did the Custodies, I did like 10 fun facts. Now, as far yes. as I'm aware, there aren't really any fun facts about Harlequins. Nothing fun, um, not fun Harlequins. facts, no. <laughs> and might, there might not be 10 facts either, so you're yeah, kind of... Yeah, <laughs> I did try. Um, and I don't know how much the general public knows about um, Harlequins, apart from the fact that they have the single greatest gunship in the entirety of the 40k universe in the shape of the Void Weaver. Yeah. So that that's a fact for you. Um, mm-hmm. But... What I thought I would do is go through their rules and how they link to the fluff. Okay. Um, okay. So, as we all know, they have a four-up invulnerable save mm-hmm. in the game. Um, that doesn't come from speed or incredible armor or anything. It comes mm-hmm. from their hollow field. Mm-hmm. And what that hollow field does is with every movement or gesture, um, their outline explodes into a cloud of multicolor fragments. Mm-hmm. So that's what makes them really Beautiful. hard to track. Um, so, so they're not tanking your shots. Your shots are just missing. They're just yeah, hitting just colorful yeah. versions of something that isn't actually where you thought exactly. it was. Colorful so butterflies. Rerolling yeah. that four up invulnerable with the lucky dice. It's yeah. just it's just, just double checking you. whether you hit one of the the mirror images. Yeah, yeah, yeah. they couldn't quite work yeah. out on the armor. Mm. Yeah. Um, now their flip belt, obviously. So that's um, that enables them to go over basically everything, yeah. um, and that is simply an anti gravity belt. So they mm-hmm. they flick that on with their mind, and then that means that they can just go really light and they can go huge heights, etc. Mm-hmm. Um, and then what I also wanted to mention was their weapons. So, as we all know, the they have three types ass. of weapons, which no one knows which one is which because they, no. you know, they all look so different. They've got silly names. Kiss is the long one. I know that it one. Is. The kiss yep. is the long one. You are right. So... Um, that's the long tube, and what happens is they punch forward, and then a monofilament wire fires <laughs> out 100 meters of it. Apparently, like yeah. a hummingbird's tongue, it goes through, and then it yes. just whips itself all around and turns your insides to mush. Yeah, um, you, they, they, they floss all of you they at once like, with, a, with a bit of metal, basically, and that yeah. is quite incredible. <laughs> and that's why it's mortal wounds in the yeah. game. The strategy yeah, yeah, yeah. gives you mortal wounds. Yeah. So then we've got the caress, which is the hand. So if this, you is the cool, the this is pretty cool. Yeah, And um, this is a phase field. They turn the phase field on and then it just bypasses the armor. So the mm-hmm. hand is there and boom, it's inside the person they're fighting. Yeah. And they can just crush and take out your heart. <laughs> yeah, and just it's pretty epic. And we'll that's, caress so, that's why the uh, stratagem is no invun in the yeah. game. Because you exactly. just go straight it's bypassing your very defenses. Absolutely. Um, and then the other, the third combat weapon is the embrace, mm. which is the kind of like the lump 
on the yeah. arm. It's neither here nor there. Um, and again, that's firing out the monofilament wire, and that's as they charge, it kind of sends out this big net, which then comes together and slices up your opponent, which mm. is why in-game that does mortals on a four-up on the charge as a strategy. Because it's kind of it's just before combat is joined, they fire this thing out. And mm. psh, psh, psh. Um and in terms of the guns, there's one gun I wanted to mention, which is the Neuro Disruptor, which is also yeah, something that, one of my um, favorites. Which no one was ever using, and now suddenly it's, it's got badass. decent. Um, it's badass. So this gun has no internal workings, it's got no trigger, it's got no power source. It simply works by the intent of the user. Mm. And so you think it and it happens. And what it does is fires waves of particles that disrupt the brain's neural pathways. So that is why it's a mortal wound, and that's why it bypasses mm. the armor because it's yep. not having anything to do with the armor. It's just it's a very cool looking gun too, with the little prism, prismatic really cool. kind of barrel end. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so run yeah, them, run two yeah. in every squad. You just uh, never not use them. Yeah. <laughs> People start. Yeah, he's not giving us any void weaver fluff. <laughs> oh, no, no, there's there's no fluff for that. that. No, there's no. no fluff. It's just ridiculous. This is um, just a Star Weaver with a gun on it. <laughs> we only care about the troops here. Yeah, exactly. yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah, that's um, that's the law. Those are very cool. I, I think the Hogan weapons are among the coolest, in, and I, I, I love the love the law on the weapons. And actually, as you say, it actually does map up to the rules very, very nicely. Um, and in a distant future, when people have forgiven Harlequins, I'm sure they will be able to appreciate appreciate once again how awesome they are because they are a very cool army and they deserve nice things just maybe not as many nice things as they're currently slightly too many nice things yeah Yeah. wonderful thank you very much for that chris that was excellent so we're now going to move over to just the tip and i have a tip for you today it's not a big tip um it does the job though tom that's what i've heard yeah it's a tip that concerns the the numbers one to twelve yep and and variance on that scale and it's about charges and charge probability. Now, I think math hammering games and mapping probability in games is something that different players like to do to, to different amounts. And I think you know, there's some people who really like to have a statistical grasp on like every conceivable outcome in the game. I don't know that that's, that's the case for all players or for your average player, but I think charges are an easy area of the game where you, as a player, can enhance your game by knowing the sort of basics of how likely particular charge distances are to happen Um, and the reasons for this are simple if you fail your charge you've got a unit stuck like a lemon ready to get hurt by something else so failed charges really hurt you in the game they're generally a, a bad use of resources but equally important there are also within different armies ways to boost or negate charges and understanding just how bad an effect those have on your plan and knowing how you're going to need how much you'll need to do to get around them is also really useful. So I'm going to going to talk through a couple of the very basics just to indicate what I mean, right? And the first one we're going to start with is the 9-inch charge. And got a probability chart which I'm consulting and I'll get Chris to put a similar version up uh, in just a moment. Um, but essentially it's 90% chance of success, right? So no, Chris, you will what? find it is not. It is not that likely at all. Um, <gasps> and so that is where it's, that's where you need to be very careful. So a nine inch charge is approximately 28% likely to happen. That's like one in four. 
it's very unlikely. And you might recognize nine inches as the distance that most things in 40k are allowed to deep strike away from stuff. Mm. So if your game plan in 40k involves deep striking nine inches away and then making a charge, it is not a good game plan. So that is a very useful thing to bear in mind. And that is why a lot of the best melee armies have plus one to charge because those odds massively improve, right? If you get an eight-inch charge, the odds improve to just over 40% and well into the realms of 60-plus percent with a reroll. And it's worth saying rerolls obviously add a bit to your percentage, right? They slightly improve, slightly improve your odds of getting what you want. So for an army with a plus one to charge or an army that deep strikes eight inches away, like ones I like, um, then your odds are actually straying into the realm of reasonable for making those kinds of charges, right? And so that's a big one. I think that's a really important thing to bear in mind. And where this is particularly useful is where things like plus two to charge or minus two to charge come in is they they have an enormous an enormously damaging effect on your odds of making charges. So it's worth having a look at the distances here. And anything that's pushing you up beyond 7, 8, 9 for your charge distance is pushing you into high risk of failure territory, right? So it's very important when you're charging at something where you know they have the ability to, let's say that you're fighting the inexorable death guard, they have the ability to make your charge minus 2. Tower have various minus 2s. Tanglefoot grenades can add negatives as well. Yeah. Anything like that, unless you're coming in from and charging from like three inches away, you're straying into very real territory of, of, of risking failure and risking being caught out. Likewise, you know that if you have a plus two um, in your army somewhere, so let's say a chaplain, then you are very much able to push your charges down to very, very achievable distances. And so having a sense of those probabilities in your head and trying to make sure that you aren't attempting charges from more than, I'd say, five or six away most of the time if you can can control it, you're going to avoid hitting that horrible fight phase, sorry, horrible charge phase, where you've got several charges that need to happen and you let's say you fail the first one you attempt, now you're in very dicey territory, right? Because even if you re-roll that one, you're now hoping and praying that every single charge you have goes off um effectively so that's that's something i say we'll, we'll have that we'll have the chart up on the page i think that's a really useful one to have in mind and this isn't to say never attempt big charges because sometimes you have to sometimes you've got to take a hail mary and there's obviously things you can do to mitigate the risk like oh i'm going to charge but i'm going to put myself behind this wall so even if i do fail the charge i'm behind a wall i'm not immediately getting shot i'm not immediately getting blasted um, but knowing how likely that is to succeed and then knowing what tricks and tools you have, be that stratagems, buffs, um, auras to boost charges or improve your odds, um, making delivery more more reliable is, is very key, I think, to building a good game plan. If you are a good player, by which I mean one that likes melee, because melee is the best way <laughs> to play the game. Sorry, Jamie. But melee right, is I'm the truth. You're playing Blood Angels now, so yeah, you, you'll be like, guns? What guns? What, I got like seven bolters. Invisible, <laughs> I'm not concerned. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, wonderful. Okay. Anything to add, gents, before we wrap up? No. No, I think Check that's. Um, I think it's really important that you just you don't base your entire game plan on the success of charges, um, yeah. especially once you get to like seven inch and beyond. Yeah. Um, it's also really important, like you know, you set yourself up for eight like i don't know three seven eight inch charges 
like trying to prioritize what order to do those in um because yes. obviously oh, the, yeah 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 that's actually a really nice um, yeah. like those are some really tricky things and if you're mm. going to set yourself up with three seven or eight inch charges there's a pretty decent possibility you could fail all three and if you yes. lose the game because of that then yeah. you did not play that game right and if you no. then finish your game and say oh i lost because i failed my three charges that's on you that's not yeah. on the dice. So I think those sorts yeah. of things are... Um, and that, really... that can be the difference between sticking something out on a limb turn one where the charge is longer and waiting a turn for when things are going to be better, right? Stuff's going to be closer, the odds are going to be better. So yeah. that, I think it can, it can make a massive difference. Overstretching when there's actually, you know, your odds of actually making the charge are quite limited. Um, can be can be really really risky. Yeah, I think that's that's a really good one to put. And yeah, I think during your charge phase, identifying where the most risky ones are, um, and I guess depend, and also where the most important ones are. Yeah, and making exactly. sure you do those in it, knowing that you've only you're only going to get one re-roll unless you're like yeah. a, a sub faction that's specifically geared for re-rolling or something like that. You know, knowing that and and playing your charge phase very carefully, I think will definitely help to make sure, to reduce reduced catastrophic failure. That's what we're all, we're all trying to do. Wonderful. Okay. Well, we've been uh, the plus. We've had a very good time nattering about stuff we love. Um, so all that remains is for, for us to say goodbye, and we'll see you after the Teams event to let you know how our brave heroes got on in the bear pit that is current competitive 40K. <laughs> see, you, see you next time. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye now.